we don't have to do this extra effort and energy to find God. God is continually approaching us. But And if we can rest in that, then that I think is a secure spirituality where it's like, I don't have to like be white knuckling it. I don't have to be worrying all the time. Am I doing this well enough? Am I praying enough? It's just this like, yeah, God's there. podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Season 4. The Church is Dying, or is it? Okay, so here we are. We're back with Episode 7 of Season 4 of the Taste and, and See podcast. I'm Ted Wiesty, Director of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. And as always, I am here with my good friend, um, uh, partner, co-host uh gray ewing yeah good to see you ted uh, my name is gray ewing and i'm the pastor of ascension church and a church i planted a number of years ago in the central phoenix downtown area yeah and so in this season of the podcast as you know by now if you've been listening for a few episodes or maybe it's your first one to listen to uh we've been exploring this this theme the church is dying or is it and and what we're seeking to do is ask questions and have conversations um, around that subject because it seems like the church is in incredible uh, transition and and some people are incredibly fearful um, and so the question is you know where's the hope what is God maybe doing um, some people may be saying that the church is dead and we're saying well really is it and at the same time saying that. Death is necessary to new life, and as Jesus says, you know the the seed must go into the ground and die. It must be broken, you know, broken open before the the new life can come, the resurrection can come. And so, recognizing also, if we can put it this way, the positives of death, right? It's not really death is the great enemy that gets destroyed in the end, but there are things that need to be pruned, and so parts of things die, and that's a good thing. Yeah, and so I'm I'm super excited about uh, the conversation today with uh, therapist and author Crispin Mayfield. Um, his his work, which really um, prompted this conversation today, is a book called Attached to God, and, and I hope we can talk about some of that. And it's and it's really a brilliant exploration of looking at how attachment theory, attachment science, is related to uh, our attachment to or or lack thereof. Um, with God. And so um, I look forward to uh, that conversation. And I just want to, at this point, welcome you, Crispin. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to, I always love talking to spiritual directors. Um, I've, I find a kinship with them. So, um, so I'm just really excited about our conversation today. <laughs> I'm uh, happy to meet you, Crispin. This is our first time. I have to confess coming in a little bit cold to this this conversation, although when Ted handed me the book this morning, uh, he gifted me your book, and I'm excited to read it. I, re- I actually recalled, it's great artwork, by the way. I love the, I love the front cover. Um, and I was recalling that just a few weeks ago, I think, you know, not apropos of this conversation at all, uh, I got a little sponsored advertisement on Facebook or something from your publisher. And so 
I'm I'm at least in your target audience. You know, uh, at least something on my profile says that that I'm going to enjoy this book. So I know that that I probably will. Hey, it's good to know a year out that they're still out there promoting it. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Well, you, uh, you're you aware just by email, and uh, many of the listeners will be aware that we have a kind of format to this podcast. We intentionally give space to eating and drinking together. This is uh, the beautiful vision that Jesus gives us in John 21, where he says, come have breakfast with me. He, he makes breakfast for his friends. And, uh, and really, that's just one small story of a whole theme of God preparing a table, you know, for his people from the very beginning to, to the new creation, the, the, uh, the marriage supper of the lamb is it's a feast. And so we have intentionally taken time to eat together, drink together. And that's part of the taste and see idea. And so, uh, we have breakfast this season as the theme, the extra theme, I guess, on top of just eating, we're, we're having breakfast together in particular because breakfast is never a bad idea. Never, because you can eat breakfast for breakfast, breakfast for lunch, breakfast for dinner, breakfast for snack, right? So, got to be why Jesus did it. I, I think so. <laughs> so, so whenever we're eating breakfast, we're reminded of the hope of resurrection. That mm. that even where there's death, um, there's resurrection mm. in God's economy. There's a new morning. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so hey, let's talk just quickly about what we're eating. Then we're going to take a break and actually eat and share in some conversation. So um, with breakfast, I threw that out to you, uh, Crispin, and you came back with, hey, here's a place. that." So tell us about where uh, and what you're eating. Yeah, there's this uh, chain of Mexican restaurants uh, in at least the Portland area called Don Pedro's. Um, And so there's one in our neighborhood, and um, they have a great breakfast burrito. I am uh, not a breakfast food fan. Uh, wow. sorry, sorry to throw shade at breakfast. Here's audio is messing up. Sorry, we, we, we're losing you, Crispin. We're not going to. Which is, which is oh, why. <laughs> which is why I love breakfast burritos. Because, you know, you have the breakfast elements in there, but there's that like spicy, savory, you know, piece. So I always feel like. Breakfast food I can make at home, but I feel like I cannot make Don Pedro's uh, breakfast burrito. So I, I just got to ask before we move on, though. So is it the eating in the morning thing, or is it the types of food that we eat in the it's morning? It's the types of food. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'll go out to to like a diner with my wife who loves breakfast food, um, and she will. Um, you know, get whatever. And I'll get chicken and waffles. Cause it's like, I like the waffles, but then you have this, you know, something that doesn't feel so breakfasty. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I, we talked about, we don't need to go on and on before. <laughs> Maybe you can cut this part, but as a kid, I grew up in the South and I had a grandmother that lived in Arkansas. We would go visit her. And I swear, I, I may be misremembering and uh, or whatever, but I swear we always ate like leftovers from the night before for breakfast so we were eating like i don't know fried chicken and and (laughs) i don't know some kind of stew and all that kind of stuff and maybe that's you know kind of old school you know she grew up in the depression kind of thing but anyway even last week i made uh, hamburgers for my my boys i have four i have four sons for breakfast because we had leftover you know meat and it was like gonna go bad in a couple (laughs) days like you need a solid breakfast these are growing young men Let's make hamburgers for breakfast. And I did put an egg on a couple of theirs. So it kind of became breakfast burger, I guess. But 
So we're having burritos as well. Right. And we we're, we have something from Lucy's. We've eaten that Lucy's before. It's a great place in Phoenix, but uh, I don't know what you actually got us for breakfast. So it's though. it's the morning run burrito, and it's made with egg whites. So I don't know if it's that much healthier, but <laughs> if it says egg whites, I kind of think that's yeah. probably a little healthier. So we're having the morning run burrito, and I've had it before, and it is it's my favorite burrito. They have a whole bunch of them, but. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's pause for a moment and have something to eat. Thank you for joining us on the Taste and See podcast, a podcast of the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona. Our vision for the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona is to create space for leaders and learners to grow in deeping intimacy with God. Check out sfsaz.org for more information and resources and consider joining us at an upcoming event. Now back to the podcast. And we are back after delicious food and a very lively discussion, I might say, um, (laughs) that we had. (laughs) We'll we'll leave that discussion not on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. But it was fun. And uh, yeah, good to catch up with you, Crispin, and hear a little bit about you and your story. And uh, tell us how the how, how was the burrito? It was very delicious. Okay. Um, yeah, it was it was so good. It was like you opening it up, and it was like there's like a little bit of egg around the inside, and the in then there's just this core of brown of bacon and potatoes, like delicious things, you know. So it was like just felt like a like a oily diner, uh, you know, wrapped in into a burrito <laughs> with some yummy salsa. So that's that's all you really need in life. I mean, <laughs> you've had this burrito before. I have. So what did you think? I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, actually, I'm not a huge egg white. Like, I'm not the one who orders that off the menu necessarily. I don't have anything against egg whites, but I thought it. I thought it was really good. I thought it held together really well, and it was a different vibe than yeah than full eggs. So I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Me too. Yeah, I'm a fan. I, I will continue to be a fan. So, so we're talking to Crispin Mayfield today, and just so thankful for your time today. And you have written a book called "Attached to God," and I think we need just we need a little bit of an explainer right at the beginning here, because maybe somebody who's listening to this is very familiar with attachment theory. Maybe some people are have heard the term. Maybe some people know the outlines of it, but in your opinion, what are the kind of the most salient things, you know, to know about attachment and why you would use that term and what that even implies to you? Yeah. So huge question. Um, and I'll do my best. Uh, but uh, just as someone who's an attachment science nerd, but at its core, basically the idea of attachment science is that we are driven to connect with others. We are driven for connection. Um, we have this drive and it shows up early on in life, right? We want to be close to our parents. And, um, often like most often we learn in that relationship with our parents, what are the ways to keep connection? And as we grow up in our family, like we learn kind of these rules about like, how do I keep my parents closer, the people that I love close. And, um, and for some folks, it's like, if I, um, 
get really loud and um, cry a lot, then then I'll get the attention that I need um, and I'll get that like closeness. And uh, for other people, it's like I learned that early on that if my parents don't are uncomfortable with emotions, right, maybe I get punished for being sad or feeling worried that I just stuff those emotions down um, and I just, uh, you know, I look okay on the outside, right? And I'm just kind of going through life and I don't really feel anything. And that's actually something that you learned early on, because it's like, if I'm going to keep my parents close, then I got to stuff those emotions down. Um, and then for other folks, it's, um, you know, if I can criticize myself, if I can kind of realize what I might be doing wrong before my parents do, um, then I can keep them close. And, um, and so those are three of the kind of typical styles and they show up in adulthood as well, right? So you might be someone that's really clingy. I fall into this category of like, hey, you didn't uh, text me back um, and it's been five minutes. So are we okay? Are we not okay? Um, then there are people that are sort of aloof of like, yeah, I'm okay with a relationship, but like don't get too close or don't ask me what I'm feeling, those sorts of things. Um, and then there are some folks that are are in this third category of like I I really want closeness, but I'm afraid that if I get close to other people, they'll they'll see me for who I am, um, and and that brings up a lot of anxiety. And so these are kind of like rough categories, and we'll, we'll talk about the categories. But um, hopefully, as people are listening, they're like, okay, yeah, I can kind of see myself, or maybe someone I know in one of those categories. Um, and so what I did was took that a step further. I didn't take it a step further, but taking that a step further, um, I found out that there's actually a lot of research out there about how this attachment style, this style of relating, uh, this way that we keep others close, um, shows up with God as well. And so for some of us, we've learned um, I need to just be hyper vigilant. I need to always be praying or confessing or like doing the right things, and that will keep God close. Mm. Other folks have learned, like, you know, I, I don't think that God can handle my worry or my sadness. That maybe means I'm not a true Christian or I'm not doing things right. So I'm going to stuff those emotions down. Um, you know, that's where that spiritual bypassing comes in. But really, what's in that is like, I'm trying to keep connection with God. Um, I want to be a good Christian, right? And I want God to be close. Um, and then for other folks, it's like, God is kind of starting with this baseline of like, God is disgusted with me. So if I could change myself enough, then maybe God would want to get close. And if I can't change myself enough, maybe I can, I know this is strong language, but it's kind of where it leads is like, I can hate myself or hate these parts of myself because God hates them too. And maybe one day God will purify me and sanctify me and then God will want to be around me. But, um, so yeah, there are these different, that's, that's a overview, but basically what it is, is we, we find in the science that we have these ways of relating and, um, just in the same way that it shows up with, uh, you like your partner or close friends or, you know, parents, it also shows up with God. I want to ask you more about the, the attachment to God in a minute, but just for my own, uh, clarification, I mean, I've read some, I've studied some about this. But what you're basically saying is this is the the science of how all that happens, right? Attachment is is how those those attachments get made or don't get made, <clears throat> as the case may be. What my own question is about the science of it is, um, 
how much is attachment theory a, a solution based thing or is it is it more of a noticing thing or does it actually give you know is it a prescriptive thing as well as a descriptive thing? Uh, just a brief answer on that. And, and then I would definitely yeah. how it relates to faith. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so basically it it's a descriptive thing. And then from there, there are a lot of attachment based therapies mm-hmm. that say, okay, so this is, this is what we know is going on. Um, and so what do we do about it? And people have different opinions on that. Um, I'm an emotionally focused therapist, which is based in attachment theory. Um, and it really is based on this idea of so many of your uh, patterns and behaviors are driven and motivated by wanting to keep people close um, and and dealing with the pain of when we feel isolated or disconnected. So these three attachment styles, and you tell me if I get it right, it's there's an anxious kind of spirituality that can emerge or a shutdown spirituality or a shame-based spirituality. Am I getting those three mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, and, and you see those show up in, in terms of how you relate to God and, and those things have been shaped, you know, from, from childhood really. Um, as a relating style, and then a spirituality emerges from that. How how would you describe um, the spirituality which is based on a secure attachment as opposed to kind of these insecure um, ways of relating? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I really like um, to think about the story of the prodigal son, um, as a like reference point for what that looks like. Um, because what we see there is we see this father that is just there for his son. Right. And so when we think about like the, the anxious spirituality, it's like, I need to work really hard to keep you close. Um, but with this father, it's like, Hey, I'm here. I'm here for you. You don't have to work hard to like get my closeness or approval, um, and so when we think about that with God, it's like, you know, just knowing that God is is available um, and we don't have to jump through hoops to get, you know, God close. Um, and, and I always like to think about um, uh, the story just of Scripture, especially in the Hebrew Bible of um, God just continually showing up to people, right? So sometimes we have this narrative of like, well, I'm sinful and God doesn't like sin. And so God can't come near me. Um, but what I see is this pattern of like Adam and Eve sin and then God shows up and then like, you know, uh, Moses kills someone, runs to the desert, you know, bumps into God, um, you know, Jacob steals the birthright, wrestles with God in the in the wilderness. Um, so we just see this pattern of like, we don't have to do this extra effort and energy to find God. God is continually approaching us. Um, but and if we can rest in that, then that I think is a secure spirituality where it's like, I don't have to like be white knuckling it. I don't have to be worrying all the time. Am I doing this well enough? Am I praying the right way? Am I praying enough? It's just this, you know, sense of like, yeah, God's there. Um, the other aspect of secure spirituality would be God can handle my emotions. Um, 
And so, and that's the same with parents um, and secure attachment with parents is, you know, um, I can be sad or I can be mad or I can be worried. Um, and God's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, of course you feel that way. That's, that's how I like, that's been a healing vision of God for me, um, is a God that says, yeah, these are normal human emotions. Like I'm here with you in this. Mm -hmm. Um, but there have been these messages in the church that say, uh, if you're anxious, it just, it means that you're not believing the Bible enough, or you're not believing God enough, or you don't have faith in God, and God is offended by your anxiety, and that's driving God away, um, and you know, or sadness. Um, I I've been in a church service once before where the pastor like literally named people in the congregation that had lost folks and said, "Yeah, you said something to the effect of like." you know, because of the resurrection, you don't have to be sad to that specific person who had lost someone. Um, and yeah, I think those are the messages that we get in the church sometimes is like, you're, you know, if you're sad or you're anxious, it means that you're doing something wrong. And, um, and, you know, obviously looking through scripture, we see over and over and over again, people being very emotional with God, being very anxious, being very sad, um, and knowing that that doesn't offend God, that doesn't drive God away. Um, and so that's the one, another piece of the security. Um, and then the last one is that, um, is being liked the last aspect of secure, um, attachment and, um, there's research that shows the core of um, secure attachment between parents and children is that the child feels delighted in, um, that there's this sense of, I really like you. Um, and for the parents that are listening, you don't have to be there all the time, right? It's totally okay to be frustrated with your kids. Um, but there is this underlying sense or there's this experience often enough that, hey, I'm, I'm really glad to see you, right? It's like your eyes lighting up when they walk in the room, coming home from school or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, I think the same with, with God, um, the sense that um, God likes you. And that um, I find is, you know, a lot of people know that God loves them, um, but knowing that God likes you, I know that I grew up feeling like, okay, God likes this future version of Crispin that's made perfect in heaven, but I keep on messing up and I keep sinning and I'm not perfect. And so God is just kind of keeping me around um, until I, you know, in heaven, I'll be perfect and then God will like me. And what we know is that that doesn't fit with secure attachment. And going back to that prodigal son narrative, um, you know, the father doesn't say like, hey, you got to go change your shirt before I give you a hug, right? The father's just like, oh my gosh, you're back. I'm so glad to see you, right? And it's not about like, it's not about any sort of evaluation about whether the son is good or bad or like has even made it right. One thing that I love about the story that Jesus tells, the, the prodigal son story, is that um, it doesn't seem like the son actually feels bad. He says, like, I've exhausted all my money. And he says, maybe if I go back and apologize to my dad, I'll have a better life. Like, you know, at least I'll get paid or I'll, you know, I'll live a better life as one of his servants that I'm living now. 
So to me, it almost feels like a manipulative, you know, manipulative like approach. Um, and I love that the father is just like, yeah, you're back. Like it, I, you don't need to like grovel on the ground, right? The father runs to him to embrace him. And so I think that I find that story just really powerful when we think about it in terms of attachment. I've often felt that one of the tests for this in the church would be how comfortable are you with like Zephaniah 317, you know, famous verse about God delighting over you with singing, you know, mm-hmm. if you read that to somebody and they're, they're shifting in their seat, you know, they're like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine, you know, God mm-hmm. singing over me that uh, it's almost like a good, and that's just one example, right? You're telling the prodigal son. One of my questions, Crispin is about um, progress and healing in these things. And um, I wonder, I, I, you know, I've, I've run into some people that I think probably misapply attachment in the, in the, the theory of it, you mentioned that that this is very early, and I think that's significant, right? So, you know, coming out of the womb, bonding with mom and dad, um, it's very early, and yet there there can be a guilt, uh, you know, association with it that you are also trying to tell parents like it's okay. You obviously believe, since you have therapies based on this, that people can improve something about their attachment, even if it's set early. Mm-hmm. So, just I guess talk for just a second about. Um, what healing looks like, is it possible to heal from these things? How much is it possible? Is it like, do you, do you reach a wall at some point and say like, well, that's just kind of the way that it is. And, uh, how do you see, I guess the, the Christianese for it is sanctification, right? How, uh-huh. Growth, um, versus like you're kind of set with whatever story you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is definitely that possibility of change, um, and and there's actually even certain times where attachment styles are more prone to change. Adolescence is one of those times. Our brain kind of gets rewired at that time. And so maybe you grow up with parents that didn't provide that secure attachment, but you find maybe a new community. Um, you know, this is why uh, youth pastors um, are really important if they can play that role of, of um, you know, being accepting and creating a sense of belonging um, for kids as they're going through the stage and, you know, also college years. Um, but it's not limited to that. So if you are, you know, if you're past adolescence, <laughs> there is definitely uh, potential for ch- for change and healing. Um, we And really that's the, the research. Um, attachment science says that um, it's, we have a tendency that we're, you know, given early on in life, but, um, but really it can change throughout life actually for better and for worse. Um, so you can be secure and then you can get into a really toxic or abusive romantic relationship and change the way that you relate. But on the flip side, um, you can like, I, I grew up without a secure attachment, but, um, both with my wife and some friends that have really shown me, um, love, it's been able, I've been able to shift that in myself, um, or that has been shifted in myself. Um, you know, it's, it's not just me, it's, it's the product of these healing relationships. And, um, but then thinking about, yeah, what, um, what can we expect going forward? Um, this reminds me of my work as a couples therapist, which is, um, couples, you know, want to know how do we do it perfectly? 
so that we don't trigger each other's insecurities, so we don't feel disconnected. If we can just learn the right way to do it, then we'll never feel uh, disconnected or or hurt each other's feelings. Um, but the what I tell them is actually what we're going to do here is we're going to focus on how to share those insecurities when they come up. So um, when you have a fight, right, instead of getting defensive, um, can you identify like what is what's being triggered in me? Maybe it's that old feeling of nobody likes me and nobody's going to stick around. And so when you get really upset with me and leave the room, right, I that triggers my insecurity. And can I share that with my partner and say, hey, it, it, it you know, I get worried because I care so much about you and it feels like you're going to leave. And um, that gives that other partner the opportunity to say, no, I'm not going to leave. Like I was mad at you, but I really love you. and I'm going to stick around. And that starts to heal that. And so using that model with God, I think, is the same thing. Um, There's nothing wrong with um, feeling like, you know, uh, telling God something like it feels like you don't like me. Right. Um, Feels like you're just waiting to punish me at the drop of a hat. Because that then gives God the opportunity to show up and say, actually, um, you know, I, I understand why you feel that way. You were you were told that all in your, you know, growing up in church or whatever it is, uh, but that's not what I'm like. So that's, I find, the most helpful thing is for people to be able to identify, like, what is the insecurity there? What's the worry? What's What's going on deep? Um, and then can I talk to God about it wow. rather than just hoping that it just goes away and I stop feeling that way? Yeah. Well, it seems, you know, we we form our uh, attachment style in relationship. And so it would have to be transformed in relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that's what I hear you saying and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So one one of the things I, I mean, so many things I love about your book. I've I've told people it's one of the best books I've read in the last handful of years. Mm. I bought a stack of them a couple of weeks ago, and I'm giving them out to people. Oh. Um, and I hope hope sell a lot more books uh, for you because your work is is I think really important. And one of the things that it did for me was it connected some dots because I feel like there's things I've experienced of God and some, some ways that um, I have deepened in my attachment to him and my understanding, not just understanding intellectually, but my understanding of him emotionally and spiritually have been transformed. And I feel like this framework of attachment theory with the, the three styles of, of, you know, anxious and shut down and, and shame-based um versus that secure attachment in God has just, it's just given me words for things that I feel like I've experienced. Mm. And real specifically, as I read through the book, you have these little sections called untangling evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. And um, and I I just, I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Just um, uh, how did, how did those little pop out? Cause they're like little pop outs and chapters uh-huh. where it's related to what you're walking through, but you're saying, okay, now let's end, untangle something. Can you say a few things about that? Yeah. So I, I, um, that was really important to me for a specific reason. Um, one piece is that, um, 
We do, you know, these these blueprints are really formed by blueprints for connection. This attachment style is really formed by our early relationships, and also um, they get uh, either formed or reinforced uh, through the church. And so, um, is you know, sometimes the message to people is you have to work really hard to keep God's favor and to keep God close. That's just your stuff. That's your personal stuff. That's from your family. You just don't understand the Bible well enough, you know? (laughs) And then, so it's important to put in there like Charles Spurgeon saying, you know, the, the life of faith is like climbing a mountain and, you know, you have to like hack every single step. And if you stop for a moment, you're going to slide backwards, you know? It was really important for me to let people know, hey, this isn't just your personal stuff. Like, that's part of it. But actually, you've gotten these messages from a lot of Christian leaders um, that, you know, may be well-intentioned or, um, you know, have different contexts. Um, But what I find is that um, there are some of us that are... um, that are kind of predispositioned to hear those messages and take them on in an unhealthy way. Not, not in like a blaming those of us that operate that way, but just to say like, we got to be so aware of attachment and aware of these messages. And so it was really important for me to throughout the book say, all right, here's another example of where this message comes from, uh, from someone that's, you know, a, a prominent uh, pastor or theologian or, or you know, faith leader. You know, I, I grew up very much. I came to know Christ as a, in my late teen years in high school and, um, and, and very much in that evangelical kind of church scene. And I feel like as I read through your stuff, it was like, I see all of these styles actually being reinforced and people being engaged and and actually went through a period of anger where I, I and and I and I do believe I don't think anyone's doing it intentionally I, and I think it's just as you read it it's like oh of course you would teach from this standpoint because you're insecurely attached as the pastor or teacher or leader so of course mm-hmm. you know so I get that and I, and I'm not angry right now but I really went through I think when it all kind of clicked for me, some significant anger because I thought, wow, so much of what happens in the church is about reinforcing these insecure, unhealthy attachment styles as a way to, uh, I, it, it just kind of felt manipulative and dirty and gross. And I, I kind of had to work through that. Yeah, I think part of it is um, it really speaks to our potential to where something feels right, right? So we have this, like, you know, you have a teacher that's like, it must be this way. And part of the reason that it feels that way, it feels true because it matches my experience of having this insecure attachment style. And um, I just think, um, I know y'all are friends with Chuck DeGroote. I think you know, the work that he's doing around how important it is for spiritual leaders to do their own work. Um, because, uh, yeah, there's so much, uh, one of my, um, favorite books, uh, that really inspired my book, um, is called gentler God by Doug Frank. 
Um, it's kind of an obscure book. Um, and the second half of it is sort of his theology um, and how he makes sense of some things. Um, but the first half is um, he looks at the history of evangelicalism. He looks at um, some of the uh, folks that started out at Wheaton in the um, like 60s and 70s and looks at their um, their own family histories and kind of puts these links together about how, you know, they're reading the Bible and they're thinking this is the objective truth. And in reality, when you look at their upbringing, the, the God that they're presenting looks so much like the God that they grew up with or a response to the, or sorry, not the God, the dad that they grew up with or a response to the dad that they grew up with. Yeah. You know, I, I, you were going to say something or years ago, past pastoring in a church, um, uh, I hopefully I'm continuing to grow as we go along, but we'd really focus on, on inviting people to engage their heart and to connect with God at a heart level. And, um, and we had a, a family that decided to leave our church. And and I thought, well, I'll, I'll take this guy out to lunch and just say, hey, tell me what's going on, you know? And mm-hmm. and what it all came down to, and I wouldn't have had language for it at the time, like I think I do now. But he said, we well, are always talking about like the heart of God and relating to you know, God in this way. And he says, I just think about the God the way I think about my, my earthly dad. Um, I respect him. We don't have a bad relationship, but we're not really close. And that's the way I want to relate to God. Wow. And he said that, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what a deep insight, you know, that he's in this place. And I and I was kind of excited at the lunch. And so I kind of started asking more questions, and I realized, oh, he didn't want to talk about that. He didn't actually... <laughs> I mean, it was a beautiful insight, but he was just saying, like, matter of fact, like, this is actually how it should be and how it is. And this picture of God that you're presenting, I'm not interested in. And he wasn't even interested in unpacking if that was what was going on with that. And um, yeah, so I just it just it just seems like having this sort of framework um, will be really helpful and is really helpful for us as we're seeking to love people well and and pastor people well and minister to people well. Crispin, our our audience is largely, you know, spiritual directors, therapists, pastors, leaders in the church. Um and I wonder what you would say if if uh you're not you're not going to be out of a job anytime soon, right? There's uh-huh. there's lots of people with insecure attachments, you know. Um many of us listening to this podcast are. So but if you could, you know, bring in the new heavens and the new earth and you were putting yourself out of a job and, you, you know, you just saw, a, you know, a revival, if you will, of mm-hmm. of security, you know, what mm-hmm. what would the leaders be doing? You could talk about habits, you could talk about the way that we speak or the ministries that we lead. What are some of the things that would like really, from a leadership standpoint, create more security, you know, for the people that we're leading, be it a congregation or a safer kind of therapy relationship. Yeah. I think, um, that one of the things, um, that I, I would hope, uh, leaders and pastors. So from kind of like a pulpit standpoint, um, cause what I find is, um, is that generally, um, 
pastors and spiritual leaders are, are really careful um, and caring when it comes to the one-on-one kind of pastoral, um, you know, relationship. But what I see missed sometimes is um, that they're not sometimes aware of who they're talking to or who might be in the congregation. And so um, I think, you know, thinking about these attachment styles um, and recognizing there are people with insecurity that are in this, um, that are in the congregation, that are sitting in seats, you know, and what, how can I... um, think about using my words with them in mind. Um, you know, I think about like, um, a a few years ago, um, I was at a church and the pastor was saying, don't think that Jesus died for you. Jesus died for his church. And so if you're part of the church, uh, you know, then Jesus died for you, but this isn't like a personal thing. And I was like, okay, you might think that's theologically true. I don't know what that means to you, but for that person that barely made it to church that day, who grew up in a family that was told, if you, if you follow the family, the dysfunctional family rules and you belong, but if you don't uphold, you know, if you're not a part of the, this like toxic family system, right. Then you're out and you're the black sheep. And then this person shows up at church and is told, God God didn't die specifically for you. You know, you got to join the club first. I just don't think that's helpful. And if you're keeping that person in mind, um, I think that's what's really important. And so I think um, figuring out, you know, how do you, how do you attend to um, the people that are really anxious that, um, you know, are really focused on... Um, am I doing this right? You know, um, how, cause I think a lot of times, um, what I see often is pastors, um, feeling a, um, a drive to like, I, I want to motivate people. I want to, you know, kind of call people to like this higher standard. Um, and it's a big question. How do you do that without increasing anxiety, uh, for the people that are, that are like, well, I need to do this perfectly if I'm going to keep God close. So I think that's one piece. And it seems to me that in a very tragic, tragic, gross kind of way, often there are things taught through the lens of these insecure attachment styles that do seem to influence people because, you know, they're hearing, oh, okay, I'm, I'm that anxious style. Here's what I do. And so if they're at a church where they're always telling them what to do, Mm -hmm. they they may become dependent on that. Or if it's a church that says, you know what? Feelings are dangerous. Mm -hmm. Feelings will only lead you astray. Then, you know, people are like, oh yeah, I want to. And and so they're drawn to that. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, for me, even as a teacher and and a pastor, along with being a spiritual director, I'm very humbled by thinking about how often have I and how often do I still like read the scriptures and, and even seek to think theologically? And it's through an insecure attachment lens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like we're we're in a bad place before we even start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the humility of the, of the leaders in this regard is so important, too. I remember an early sermon that I preached years and years ago. 
that where a therapist was in the congregation, she approached me afterwards and, you know, had some words with me. And it was like, you don't realize that when you said that, that this person was thinking this and this and this, and man, I just, it took me down for a couple of weeks, you know, because it was pretty, it was, it was very pointed, you know, and cause she, she was dealing with people every week that were hearing a harmful you know mm-hmm. message. And, uh, I still think about that, you know, it, it, she, I can picture her face. I'm in a different church now. Right. But sometimes I picture her out there, right. You know, like <laughs> who's hearing this, that, that is, you know, and so, yes. Yeah, and, it, you know, I think it would be a wonderful thing to add this to, you know, sometimes we think about, well, am I speaking to the children? Am I speaking to the blue collar worker, the white collar, you know, whatever mm-hmm. We might have a, a matrix or a paradigm by which we are kind of filtering people, but, Often, I don't think the emotional, you know, landscape uh, or the attachment landscape or the um, is is in mind. You know, certainly not necessarily for me. Yeah, and and there there's a huge overlap between uh, trauma and attachment. If I'm assuming that there are people that um, grew up with abusive parents, right? What is it that they need to hear about God? You know, so if they're hearing every week, something that's, that seems pretty like neutral about, you know, God's purpose for your life. Um, you know, what are you doing for God? But they grew up in a family where it's like, I don't care about you. I only care about what you can give me or what, you know, you're a bother to me. Um, or, you know, you need to, um, you need to do all the chores I, didn't, I never asked for you as a child, you know, these like verbally abusive things. And then they're showing up at church and they're hearing about this God that every week just, you know, the pastor wants to talk about what are you doing for God this week? And they're like, oh, yeah, this is this fits my narrative. Right. And that's not a healing experience. And so I think holding that in mind of, you know, what are what are the attachment styles and what's the, you know, possible trauma people have gone through as well. There's just an honesty too, of recognizing that we're all bringing things to, to a text, you know, whenever we look at it and, you know, many times when people, you know, talk about the Bible, they think this is just what the Bible teaches. Right. Mm -hmm. So without any kind of reflection on the fact that you you're growing up in a particular place, a particular time in history, a particular family, um, it's just like, it seems so evident that this is what this is about. But the more you study the scriptures, of course, you realize that, well, the, the prodigal son, I mean, goodness, is there a message to fathers in there, right? Is there a message to sons? Is there a message to, uh, older brothers, right? There, there's all kinds of, the scriptures are very beautifully, you know, obviously complete in their, and their kind of analysis. And so, yeah, I think some recognition that we're, we're actually bringing some kind of agenda oftentimes when we think that we're teaching the truth um, is, is important. I, I mentioned this in my book, um, but there's this story of Billy Graham that I think uh, really um, highlights this. Cause you know, most folks think like Billy Graham, you know, he, he's sort of the, the standard of just, you know, clear gospel presentation. Um, and I'll say this was, was earlier in his career. He said, um, the gospel is like this. Um, there's a dad that asks, asks his son to go get wood for the fire. Um, the son is engulfed in a novel and so isn't paying attention. So then the dad snaps at him and says, Hey, go get the wood. 
the son's, you know, has a reaction back, slams the door, says, no, I'm not going to do it. Then the son comes back two weeks later and says, um, you know, I, I want to come back in. And the dad says, you can come back in as soon as you go get the wood for the fire, like I asked you in the first place. <laughs> and Billy Graham says, here's here's what the gospel is. And um, this is, Doug Frank points this out in his book, and he looks at reading um, Billy Graham's autobiography, or biography, I'm not sure which. And that dad is very similar to Billy Graham's dad, um, a a really rough guy uh, who demanded a lot. And what's so striking to me about that is it's actually very different than the prodigal son story. And Billy Graham knew that, like he knew the prodigal son story. So um, I think it's a picture of what happens when we don't do that reflection of what's my own story, what's my own relationships. Um, You know, it's just easy to, to get off track and end up telling a, a story that is more like our experience than, than the Bible. Yeah. And, and from that, it's like totally made sense in Billy Graham's brain, mm-hmm. you know, it totally made sense. And, and I, I, in, in relation to that, I was thinking about over the last few years, I've, I've, I've kind of developed a little bit different hermeneutic than I was trained in, in seminary where it was, it was a very scientific sort of a way of interpreting the scriptures and looking at the scriptures. And there's a value in, in some of those things, no doubt. But I would almost be more now describe myself as someone who uses a hermeneutic of love, mm. that God's whole heart is to connect to us and be attached to us. So as we read the scriptures, what is it like to have our, our framework being looking at God as one who desires to attach to us and for us to be bonded uh, uh, to him. And, and there are things that I would say over the last couple of years um, that I couldn't explain to you with the theological kind of hermeneutical grid that I was given. And I could have told you exactly what it meant. I could have preached a sermon on it, but I think as I've been able to start looking at the scriptures through the hermeneutic of love or attachment connection, there are so many things in scripture. I'm like, Oh my gosh, now it's like, I, I don't just get it. You know, the, the party line theological. Uh-huh. Thing. Right. Yeah. It's like, Oh my gosh, that's what's going on here. That's what God is doing. And, um, and it just feels like, you know, I don't think we're asking anybody to give up, you know, uh, sound hermeneutics, you know, that might be learned at a seminary, but it, it feels like what we're saying is, wait a second, there's more going on here to our hermeneutic, if you will, than just having a real tight scientific, mm-hmm. um, you know, approach. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Or is that? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm just, I'm, at, I'm picturing the systematic theology by Wayne Grudem textbook that I read throughout uh, Bible college. And, um, and I think the the problem with that was there was this approach at my university of like, it's all in there. <laughs> and, um, and it's been really liberating to say, okay, there's got it. I mean, that's, that was my drive behind the book, which was like, if we have some sense of what a healthy parent child dynamic looks like, um, and yet the the stories that I've been given about God look much more like a, an abusive parent or a neglectful parent or um, 
you know, then, then I must be missing something. And so it was really rewarding in the book to go back and, and look at scripture and be like, okay, you know, like I talk about, um, how do we understand law, you know? And, um, because that is one of those things that if you're reading it from, if you are someone like Martin Luther, who likely had some very rigid black and white thinking, a lot of shame, you know, the law to him, and he found a way, a rant, like a way to free himself from that. But he then kind of painted, painted the law as this demanding God, um, who, you know, expects perfection. And, um, it was really, I really enjoyed going back and doing some of the research and looking at scholarship about how, how do scholars today understand what God was doing with the Hebrew law and recognizing it actually was about God's love and desire for connection. It wasn't like, you got to keep me happy, right? Yeah. Right, right. I, Otherwise, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, you know, I delight in your law. I love your law, Lord. Those don't make any sense if if, uh-huh. if, if the law is just this punching bag that we're supposed to right. uh, hate. Yeah. One, one, of the, one of the ways I've recontextualized some of this, I think, as I do some teaching is, I, I I often will say that God doesn't demand from us; He desires for us, mm-hmm. and and especially when we have those pictures of God as this demanding, angry. He's not angry as long as you're doing the right things or whatever. Uh-huh. But to say no, God has this deep desire, and to think of the law as this is God's heart; it's His desire for us, and it, and it just. It's no less powerful. It's more powerful, really. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no less serious, no less significant. But to understand it as desire versus demand has been sort of a, a framework that's helped me quite a bit. Crispin, thank you. I feel like we could sit and talk and explore for another three or four hours, which it's is a such a gift. Um, but we often like to add, you know, end with just one question about hope in the church because. Mm-hmm. We're trying to have conversations that um, are exploring and noticing what's been going on in the church, um, what's happening now, um, and, and dealing with it honestly, and like having these honest conversations about dear Billy Graham. You know, mm-hmm. he he kind of uh, put something out there that was just not reflective of the gospel. And and in your book, you mentioned a lot of other people. I think you talked about Spurgeon. So we want to have these kind of conversations, uh, be real about what's there, and it feels like that's a part of what is going to lead us to a place of experiencing what's going to be resurrected from what's a lot of mess right now. So where do do you see resurrection? Where do you see hope right now in the church? My hope and what I am seeing in in some communities happening is listening to the people that are suffering most, you know, asking this question about if you don't feel close to God or if it feels like God is always upset with you or disappointed in you, what's what's going on here? And I'm not going to assume you're the problem. I'm going to assume um, that there there's something that's gone awry here. And um, so I think that is so important. I And I, I feel inspired by Jesus because um, I think about Jesus this is my mini sermon to end. Uh, <laughs> I think about Jesus and the Sabbath, right? And the Sabbath was like the hallmark 
of religious life at that time. That was like the most, like Brueggemann talks about how Sabbath was like the most distinct thing about Israel. And Jesus says, um, hey, this, this isn't working. The way that we're practicing Sabbath, if, you know, I'm getting criticism for healing people on the Sabbath, like then this isn't working. This isn't actually doing the thing that it's supposed to do. And it doesn't matter, even if this is like the law that came from from God, we need to reexamine this if if we're upholding this thing that we were given and it's actually causing oppression to the people that are suffering most. And so that's my hope for the church is that we can ask like, hey, if that person that has experienced trauma um, shows up at church and they're just hearing more of the same, they're not actually he- hearing a healing message, then we need to ask, what is it that we're missing? Because we know that God loves and God is a God of healing. And so we must be missing something here um, so that we can have something that is more healing and, and liberating to give to that person that is suffering most. Mm, thank you. Okay. I lied. I have one more question. One more question. Okay. I got to get this in. So in some of the things I've read, it makes it sound like um, you're either securely attached or you're not. And it's like a 50, 50 thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just, I'm just wondering, is it, is it that black and white or because I, I feel like in one sense, when we talk about people who've experienced trauma, it can be an us versus them thing. It's like, Oh, those trauma people. Mm-hmm. But I, I have this sense that like we've all experienced trauma. I may not have had, you know, a, a very a really physically or emotionally abusive home that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't I haven't gone through without being, you know, touched a bit by trauma. Mm-hmm. So I may predominantly be able to have a secure attachment style, but these other things are going to pop up. Am I, is that anything? Is that? Yeah, definitely. So um, one of the things is that if I have an assessment in the book about what your um, spiritual attachment style is, um, and I don't, um, secure is not one of the answers. (laughs) You can't come out secure in my assessment because there are times where each of us go into these insecure styles and knowing what your insecure style is, is really important. Um, I think, you know, in similar ways, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of folks that are listening are familiar with Enneagram, right? Being able to know, okay, when I'm feeling insecure, I go into this like anxious state where I'm performing and I'm trying to be perfect. I'm trying to make sure everything's Okay then to recognize, okay, that actually is a signal to me that something's going on deeper that needs needs care and needs attention. And so um, my encouragement for folks is to figure out what's your insecure attachment style so that you can see it, right? And, and I do the same work with couples. Um, you know, it's not saying, okay, well, you're, you're going to stop shutting down uh, in the middle of conflict. It's actually like, oh, I, I realize I'm shutting down. Let me come back to you and tell you I feel overwhelmed and I need a minute because this is what I do when I get into conflict, but I really do want to connect with you. This is just kind of where I go. You know, I think that's because, yeah, we're not going to get it perfect. Um, but if we can recognize, like, what's my pattern and I can come back from that is going to be, I think, the best way going forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. We're all in the boat together. 
you know, the trauma boat. And (laughs) and, uh, if we can all uh, be present to one another, um, present to our own trauma, um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of hope in that. So thank you. Thank you for just sharing with us and this conversation. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. I love talking about this topic, love the work y'all are doing. So I was just really honored. Love the breakfast burrito. So all around, (laughs) it's a great experience. Thanks, you too. So speaking of being in this together and getting help, uh, it would help you probably to read Crispin's book, uh, Attached to God. That's the name of the book. And uh, where, uh, and you also do telehealth uh, with c- counseling, right? What will mm-hmm. be a way for people to connect to that? Yeah, I have a website, CrispinMayfield.com. Um, I'm fairly easy to find because uh, my name is unique. Um, I only can see clients in Oregon, but if you're in Oregon, um, I do have a private practice and love talking about these, uh, working on attachment with God with people and, um, and attachment with others as well. So, yeah. Cool. And we have resources as well that can help you on your journey. We have a list, for instance, of spiritual directors in the Arizona area and beyond, some that do it virtually from anywhere. So um, we are the Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona, but you know we a lot of people listen in to this from, from other places as well. Uh, so you can find all those at sfsaz.org. That's just the acronym for Spiritual Formation Society of Arizona, sfsaz.org. Also, you can find us on all the places you'd expect, uh, on Instagram and Facebook, and you can leave us questions or comments there. We'd love your feedback on this. One of the desires for this season was that we would have some uh, interaction about the church, what people are noticing, especially post-pandemic, and noting that a lot of things seem to have died, and yet some things are coming back. And so that was part of the spirit of this as well. So we'd love to hear your questions and comments. So until next time, uh, thanks. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, everybody. See you soon.